Hey, it's Thomas Frank. I've just got a quick note for you before we get into the show. If you've been enjoying the Inforium or my videos over on YouTube, then you, my friend, should get Nebula. On Nebula, you get ad-free versions of both this podcast and my videos, along with exclusive stuff like extended versions of those videos. And it's not just our stuff that you're going to get. Dozens of other creators are on Nebula, including Ali Abdal, Wendover Productions, Braincraft, Tier Zoo, and lots more. Nebula gives us a chance to experiment, and since everything's ad-free, it's also the best way for you to get our content. Head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome to the College Info Geek Podcast. My name is Thomas Frank, and this is a show that helps you become a more effective student. And in this episode, I'm going to be a little honest, this topic might be a bit advanced for some of you, but it is a question that I do get often, and the question is this. Uh, I want to quit my job and start working for myself. Pretty simple, no? <laughs> no, of course, it's not simple, and it's really scary, and I keep getting this question from either from people who are, you know, just out of college, and they started their first job, or maybe they've been in a job for a while, and either they hate their job completely, it's absolutely not what they expected it to be, or they're okay with their job, they like it, but they have an idea that they really want to pursue, and there's something they really want to do on their own. So now they're facing this question, do I quit my job? to start my own business or to start working for myself in like a freelance, you know, situation or something like that. Well, that's a tough question to answer, but luckily I have a good number of friends who have done it, including my friend Caleb Wojcik, who has been on the show before. If you've listened to episode nine, I talk with him about building a diverse skill set. And back then, Caleb was actually working for our mutual friend Corbett Barr, who had a site at the time called Think Traffic. Now, Think Traffic eventually evolved into something called Fizzle and built a bigger team, and Caleb was one of those original team members. But he was still kind of an employee of Fizzle. And today, that is no longer the case because uh, sort of kind of recently, Caleb actually decided to leave Fizzle and go on his own to become a filmmaker of sorts. So he's got his own company called Caleb Wojcik Films, where he creates films and short videos and all kinds of other video-related projects for clients. And he also has a project called DIY Video Guy, which is a YouTube channel and a podcast and a blog that educates people on how to make their own videos or start YouTube channels. And uh, on that platform, he sells in-depth courses on how to edit videos or shoot them, light them, and uh, get all the gear you need. So that is his business now and he's going it on his own so he's had to go through all these challenges the you know the debate on whether you should quit your job or not quit your job all the questions that come up and I'm just going to pick his brain today to get the answers to those questions so if this is something that you're wondering about hopefully you'll find this episode useful and if you're still in college and you're like I don't even know what the heck I want to do with my life maybe this episode will become useful to you a few years from now when you get a little bit more work experience under your belt and you start thinking about the possibility of working for yourself. So if you want to find the show notes to this episode with all the links that we talk about, they're over at CIGpodcast.com. Try that episode 95 link on the page if you want to find those links. You'll also find links to rate and review the show on iTunes if you want to help it out. It definitely makes me happy to see more reviews piling in. So uh, thank you so much if you do. And once again, I just want to plug the community because we are uh, rolling full steam ahead with the community. I just made some CSS changes to make it like look better. and It's better organized now. So now you can tag your posts as either tips or questions or general talk if you want to make it easier for people to see if you're asking something or just providing something you know. So check it all out at collegeinfogeek.com slash community. Would love to see you there. So that's all I have for this intro. Let's get right into this interview with Caleb. Dude, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Thomas. <laughs> for sure, yeah. You've been on the show in three years almost, right? 
Yeah, June 2013, and now it's February 2016. So is that lot's how happened long on my was? End. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, it was June. Oh man, a lot has happened on your end. So to recap, for I mean, I'm guessing for all the diehards that go through the show in order, you were working for Think Traffic back in that uh, back in 2013, mm-hmm. and uh, was that it? Oh, you were running Pocket Changed, which is like a personal finance blog. Yeah, so I had a personal finance blog that I was doing on the side. I had left my job at Boeing that I worked in finance at, and I was working with Corbett Barr at Think Traffic. And then Think Traffic became Fizzle. Uh, Chase Reeves joined us, and we launched Fizzle, where we built a community of entrepreneurs and people paying each month to access courses and uh, have access to us one on one and help them build their online businesses and stuff. And I was doing a lot of video work there. And uh, that's where you and I kind of became good friends because you were posting in the forums there and getting really involved in the community. Yeah, that's right. So, and now you have left Fizzle, Mm -hmm. which was, let me guess, like six months ago? Uh, Over a year ago now. So I've been, it was September of 2014 was my last full month there. So I did all of 2015 on my own, self-employed, uh, and a little bit of the end of that year as well. Okay, so you've got over a full year of this. Man, time goes way too fast. Yeah, it I does. It was like, I thought it was like six months ago. <laughs> so six you, months ago was like VidCon that we went to. So yeah, your time was oh way off. Oh my gosh, yeah. that's right. It still feels like I started making YouTube videos a little while ago. Like for so long, I identified with like, oh, I've been making videos for like four months. And now it's been well over 18 Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it's coming up on 18 at least. So you left Fizzle and then you created now what's what's like the top level entity of what you do? Is it Caleb Logic Films or is it DIY Video Guy? So Caleb Logic Films brings in, I would say, 70 percent uh, of income. Mm-hmm. And I spend my time about 50 50 between the both of them. So my video production work that I do for clients uh, like Pat Flynn of Smart Passive Income is someone that I worked with a lot last year. Uh, other online entrepreneurs and startups uh, that takes, you know, 70 to 80% of our income. And then on the other chunk, we have DIY video guy where we teach video production to people that want to be YouTubers or just want to make videos for their own business, their own sites. And that's like 20 or 30% uh, revenue from courses and some affiliate sales. Okay. So I'm guessing if you're doing 50, 50, time split are you kind of hoping to build the DIY video guy side to be kind of more of the income driver as time goes forward yeah and I really do enjoy doing that part I really like making videos and podcasts that I'm fully in control of and teaching people and making courses and those types of things I really like doing those things and it's also more of a long-term play because I have courses that sell that I put out last year and haven't touched them since but if I keep making free tutorials and podcast episodes and other things, then then I can make more of a passive income from that. But I do really like doing client work and it also pushes me to get better at making videos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But on the downside, there's like, oh, we need you to hop on the train and be to my house by Wednesday with all this gear you don't have yet. And all that right. Kind of there's, there's travel, there's, mm-hmm. um, sometimes projects go long, there's you doing things that they want done, not necessarily what you want done. I mean, I could talk about client stuff forever, but um, 
it, it, it does pay well. Doing video production work does pay well. Yeah. And I get to work with some pretty cool people. I'm selective about who I choose to work with. So, so neither side is really something that I dread doing. Mm-hmm. Do you know Grant Baldwin at all? Yeah, I, I was on his podcast a little while ago. Okay, yeah, he's a good friend of mine. And it was kind of one of the things he was telling me. It's like he was a speaker for years and he still is a speaker. But yeah, he was wanting to build some more like aspects of his business where he could build something that would sustain itself going forward because you have to find gigs. You have to fly out and you have to speak. And, you know, it is a linear do the work. The money is paid for that work. And then, you know, I guess that the relationship will still be there, but there's not a a product that can keep being sold over and over again. Mm -hmm. And my YouTube channel and my podcast actually get me client work too, Mm -hmm. because people see that I know what I'm talking about. It's kind of this dynamic of you prove that you know what you're talking about and what you're able to do by teaching it. And then other people, you know, assume or know that you know what you're doing uh, when they hire you on. So it's not as cut and dry as just do client work or just teach something. I really like the mix between the two. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's it brings up a good, uh, good question. So you do a lot of teaching. Do you think that teaching video production is actually more effective or maybe even just as effective for getting clients as uh, putting up your work and putting up like portfolio examples? That's interesting. We've been trying to do more of the behind the scenes on when we make a client project because people see the finished video and they don't really know what goes into it. But I think by us putting the behind the scenes together, I think that's been helpful for potential clients to see the amount of work we put into something or at least how working with us would would be. But I do think that I've probably gotten as much work from finished videos as teaching video production. And also just you get way more exposure when you become a subject matter expert on something yeah, and you YouTube about it or podcast about it or you speak at conferences or you do webinars in front of other people's audiences and they really do complement each other. And so that's why I like to keep doing both. Mm-hmm. Some people say those that can't do teach. And I think that's, that's <laughs> so wrong. That's, yeah, I think that's, that's awful. I think it's, and it always makes me laugh when I say it this way. I think that those that can do, do teach. And it makes mm-hmm. me laugh because you say do do. And then I always think of family guy. <laughs> so those that can do, do teach. <laughs> and it's because, yeah, I'm sure there are people that are full of it and don't actually know what they're talking about. And they try to go out and teach and grow a business that way, or at least an audience, but you can immediately tell that they don't really know what they're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I Sometimes I think about this um, and I get worried that like, oh, is this, is all the time I spend teaching and kind of immersing myself in all like the content and the marketing and the business aspects of it, is that like time I could spend getting even better at one thing? I guess that's true to some point, but if you are successfully teaching something, you at least have uh, some amount of skill above what everyone else that's watching your stuff is going to have. Otherwise, why would they watch your stuff? Yeah, exactly. You're always better than someone else at something Mm -hmm. and you can share whatever it is you've learned so far. I think that the issue comes where people try to teach what they don't know. And Mm -hmm. uh, Corbett, the person he used to work with, actually tweeted something out about this the other day. It was like, what gives someone the right after they fail at something to teach other people how to do that? Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know the story of the person he's talking about per se. 
But I know the gist of what he's saying is, okay, you go and try to build a business or do something. Like, let's say you go to be become an actor or something and you fail. And so then you teach people how to be an actor <laughs> versus I know like Dustin Hoffman has an acting like e-learning class that's out there. Yeah, uh, that's the, I'm going to make a note of that. That's the master class. Yeah. And that's an amazing class because he has 40, 50 years experience acting. I don't know how much, but way more than anyone else is probably teaching acting yeah. online. So there's kind of a it? dichotomy of those. Uh, I have not, but it's in like my queue of courses that I want to go through. I try not yeah. to buy them before I'm ready to take them, mm-hmm. but it's definitely one of the ones I want to take. Yeah, I came across that. I think it's just Matt. Is it? Is that what the whole brand is called? Masterclass? Mm-hmm. I think? Yeah. They just have all and these cool things. Yeah, and it's really interesting even if you're a YouTuber or you just want to do podcasts or just to see how people conduct themselves on stage. Um, I'm just looking at some of the other ones. There's one by Usher that's like the art of performance. So like how to be on stage and things like that. There's a Serena Williams, Serena Williams one on tennis. Like I know there's a Kevin Spacey one. Oh, and then the James Patterson writing one is there. Yeah. So these are like top of the game people. Christina Aguilera teaches singing. Annie Leibovitz uh, teaches photography. Like the top people that, you know, are in whatever it is and they're like putting things out. So this is like creative live on a whole other scale. It's like the top people they come in to get these classes made. So I'm excited just to check these out and see how they're made and learn some stuff. Dude, sometimes I wonder if like, everyone could benefit from an acting class or Mm -hmm. like the usher stage class because i don't know just being able to be confident and present yourself in a controlled way it's beneficial in almost any field so what i want to talk about first is the debate in your mind over should i quit or should i stay in my job like you have something you want to do or maybe you just completely hate your job um, I don't know if this is if you've had that experience because I know like with Caleb Logic Films and DIY Video Guy, you just wanted to be a filmmaker. Um, how do you know when to quit though? What are some of the questions you have to ask yourself? It's really really tough. So I've quit two major career things. Uh, the first one being I was at Boeing for three and a half years after mm-hmm. I graduated college, and I was working there in finance and I switched jobs once to get a promotion and it just, it was big company, corporate cubicle kind of work. And you basically had to put in your time to get promotions or raises and things like that. It really wasn't based on like how good you were at your job. And that me quitting that job was a little different because I went to join Corbett at Think Traffic and I had been blogging and I knew I wanted to do something else. And I basically went on a search to figure out what that would be. I was applying for jobs at Microsoft up in Seattle because that's where I lived because I wanted to maybe work in video games or something. And I didn't get any <laughs> callbacks for any of those <laughs> postings of my resume. Uh, I wanted to do maybe film school. So I went to USC film school and did a little tour and decided not to apply because I didn't want to go back to school. I just finished my MBA also. So I had been in school for like 20 years and I was just kind of trying all these different things. And even back in college, I had a lot of internships, a lot of different jobs there that I had, you know, done for a while and then quit to try something else. I remember reading this book in college that was like 
what what do I do when I grow up or something? And it was just this book of short chapters where there was 30 or 40 people explaining what their job was and whether they liked it and what they got to do on a day in day out basis. So honestly, I'd been searching for 10 years to figure out what I wanted to do between college, working at Boeing for three and a half years, working at Fizzle for two and a half or three years. I mean, I'd just been searching and looking and the only way that I could comfortably quit was if I had something that I knew would bring money in the door. Because mm-hmm. it's glamorous to say, quit your job and follow your passion and travel the world and figure it out later. But I'm way too risk averse for that. I'm way too calculated. And what do you mean, man? Just do it. Yeah, I just didn't, do it. Exactly. I didn't want to <laughs> give up all that stuff, though. Like I had gotten good grades in high school and college and worked on my resume and went to career fairs and landed a good comfortable job Mm -hmm. but once i had that i was i was bored and i wanted to do something different okay so with boeing it was kind of a case of like i don't like the work i'm doing i don't know exactly what i want to do elsewhere i just need to get out of this yeah okay it was i want like a different lifestyle too where i didn't want to sit in a cubicle and i have a commute and those types of things i wanted to be location independent if possible be able to travel and work on more internet space stuff. Cause mm-hmm. I, I was super nerdy growing up. I played a lot of video games. I built my own computers like when I was in middle school and high school. And I wish there was YouTube back then. I would have figured out how to build my computer a little better or I would have started a, <laughs> a YouTube channel or something. That's one of my big regrets is not uh, m- making videos sooner, but CHD, Caleb HD. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Or CWHD, there we go. It wouldn't even have been HD back then. It would have been like <laughs> CW144P or something. <laughs> hey, guys, like blurry face, artifacts yeah, exactly. everywhere. Yeah. So where was I going with that? I've always been nerdy and into computers and the internet and everything like that. So I also wanted to transition from personal finance and corporate world into something that was a little more tech and online related. So mm-hmm. doing stuff in blogging and podcasting and video led me closer to that. So it was less a case. You certainly had things you wanted, ways of working, environment, kind of a routine change that you want. But it wasn't a case of there's a definite path I'm trying to jump onto and I need to figure out how to make the leap. It was more, I don't like where I am. I need to find a way to get out of it somehow. And I think that's, I think that's where most people are is Mm -hmm. they don't necessarily know where they want to go. They just know they don't want to be where they are right now. Yeah. And that's a really, really difficult place to be. And I think the only way to figure out where it is you want to be is to try a bunch of things. So go and do free work for people and businesses and see if you like doing that. Um, Spend your nights and weekends learning new skills to see if you like those things. And really just putting yourself out there. And if you, I mean, if you have the luxury where you've saved up money and you have a little bit of a runway to quit your job and to go try something, or if you have been building uh, an audience online or some sort of skill that you could freelance doing that you could at least bring in some money after you quit your job, then then maybe give that a go. But Mm -hmm. I mean, everyone recommends you save a certain amount of months of savings, but the two times I quit, I didn't do that. Really? I, so I went I went from Boeing to working at Think Traffic. Okay. 
And I took a step down in pay and benefits and things like that to to have that change. But I at least knew I was going to have a paycheck. Like I, right. I left one job to take another job. But was that enough to cover all your expenses or was it like enough to cover most of it or? Yeah, it was enough to cover, to cover our expenses okay. at the time. Yeah. And then leaving, leaving Fizzle to do video production and DIY video guy full time. That was completely different because it was no major savings. It wasn't like we had months of savings that we could have lived off of while I figured out how to make money. It was like, I'm leaving my job. I need money in the door the first month. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I think that was a better mindset to be in anyway, because it got me to hustle and think about how I could get clients right away. And I did have six or seven weeks of transition where I was still working. And so I could tell clients or at least get my name out there and start thinking about how I was going to make money versus I quit my job two weeks notice and then I have no idea how I'm getting money in the door. Yeah. So with leaving Fizzle to do DIY Video Guy, the team at Fizzle, they were pretty supportive of it. So that, I mean, they kind of knew it was coming for a good long while and you had some time to put a lot of effort into it publicly before you actually left. Yeah. And as soon as I knew for sure, I had that conversation and we, we set a date that was far enough out where I could transition stuff or finish projects I was working on versus in the corporate world. Usually you tell them and they're like, well, you should get out or yeah or what have you i mean it depends on the on the place and how big the company is and your rapport but i mean some places want you to stay for a couple months so they can find someone you can train them mm -hmm. but a lot of places or if you're at a like a like a fast food job or whatever like you could just put in your two weeks and leave and they can find someone else to, like, to do your out. job yeah get yeah. now <laughs> uh so let's contrast that actually what were the conversations like both with your bosses at boeing when you're telling them you were going to leave. And to be clear, you had set up the job with Think Traffic before leaving Boeing. It was like clean break, done with Boeing next day, mm -hmm. Think Traffic. Okay. So what were the conversations yeah. like on both ends, Fizzle and Boeing? So when I was leaving Boeing, I was trying to take a leave of absence for a while because mm -hmm. my wife and I wanted to travel for a bit around the U.S. after we got married. And I had currently had a part-time job with Corbett for about six weeks while he was traveling through Europe to schedule blog posts and answer support email and things like that. And I didn't know if that was going to turn into a full-time gig or not, depending on how things went. And so I had a couple conversations with my manager and senior manager about, hey, can I take a leave of absence for a few months, try out this stuff, I, I could be back, or perhaps I could work virtual and work 20 hours a week. Uh, we had a fairly decent schedule at Boeing and most of the stuff that I could do, I could do from wherever with the laptop I already had. So I, I tried for both of those things and didn't really get either of them. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, I won't be back and started so, working full time with Corbett and um, timed my departure at Boeing at the same time. So when you were negotiating or trying to negotiate these leaves of absence or virtual things, were they aware that you were doing other kinds of work? Like if I was blogging about personal finance or that I was going to take a part-time job. Yeah. Like, um, or was it kind of like, I want to go travel? About it. Okay. I, I mean, I wasn't super open about it. It was more like, I'm going to go travel. I can gotcha. still work 20 or 40 hours a week if you wanted me to. My wife and I just want to go do this. Mm -hmm. And there are other people in the company that I know worked in random locations too. 
and I felt like I had been in my role for a long enough time where I could, you know, keep doing the work that I do virtually and they just weren't really on board with it. Yeah. Well, do you listen to the Cortex podcast? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you heard the episode. I don't remember which one it was, but they were talking about their experiences leaving their jobs to do their internet things. Like Mike was leaving this bank to start his podcasting company and then CGP Gray's uh, leaving his teaching job to do YouTube. And the kind of like the advice they basically put out in that episode, it's not really an advice podcast, but they were just like, if you do something on the side, don't tell any of your coworkers ever or they'll just fire you right away. Like that was kind of the the gist of it. And I feel like a lot of people who are doing something on the side or want to quit, like are super scared to say anything about it. Like they're like, the moment I breathe a word of it, I'm going to get fired. And you weren't telling your bosses, like I'm doing this other jobs and stuff, but it does seem like you were trying to be a little bit more open with them, like about trying to negotiate working less or having a different work situation instead of just quietly seething about it and then leaving one day, you know? Yeah. And I think that depends on how open you are with your manager or your boss in, you know, what you want to be doing in the future. And I think it's important to have those conversations. Mm -hmm. I have those conversations with Tim now who works with me. And I was like, what do you want to be doing in a year? What, what kind of lifestyle do you want in a few years? How much do you want to be making? What kind of skills do you want to have? So we can like work towards getting you there because to, to expect that someone in a big corporate environment is going to come in as a 20 year old kid out of college and want to sit in this entry level position for the next 40 years is just not true. Like yeah. you're not going to find that you you may find someone that's older and they have kids that are in college and they like what they do. And that's, this is the extent of how high they want to be in the company or the skill they want to have. But someone in our generation you just got to know they're going to want to do other things. And so I was pretty open with that about my managers either switching within the company. Like, Oh, I want, I want to move closer to the city because my wife and I are going to get married and that's where we want to live. So can you help me find a job in the next six months? That's at this location of our company, like having those kinds of conversations. I think you just have to be open with that versus just kind of holding back and not telling anyone ever anything, which is what I did like in high school. Mm -hmm. uh, an example of that would be I played soccer and I played goalie and I really wanted to cook for, kick for the football team. I've loved football my whole life. I'm just not really built for it. I'm tall and skinny, <laughs> but I was really good at kicking and I just never went and had that conversation with the football coach to be like, Hey, can I just come kick uh, when it's, when it's games? Cause I still have to go to soccer practice. Yeah. And like, that's something I regret. So now I just try to be open with people of authority and like, Hey, this is, this is a situation. This is what's going on. Let's talk about how we can, how we can get to where we want to get to. And mm -hmm. I think that's what I did at Boeing. And it, it worked out for some things like getting promotions or getting job changes and things like that. But for getting the leave of absence, it didn't really work. Yeah, but it's not like you walked in, you said, hey, can I have a leave of absence? And then they said, no, and also you're fired. Yeah. They just said, well, that's not going to work out for us. I think a lot of a lot of students have like this eight-mile mentality where it's like <laughs> you got one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow. And if you say anything about it beforehand, before the time is absolutely perfect, everything will just crumble around you. <laughs> everything you've worked for will go away, and your boss yeah. will hate you. And, I mean in most cases it's not like that you know 
you will have the odd corporation that's like, all right, we'll see you. You're obviously not dedicated to this. Uh, one of my and friends is like saying that if the CEO of his company tells people that they're dead to him when they quit. <laughs> just like, that, what the heck is wrong with you? Um, but for, I mean, you, you don't know, wanna... most bosses know that, you know? They're not yeah. under the delusion that you're going to stay there for 40 years. If, if they're a good boss, they should know that, okay, I got this person for two, three years tops. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people just stay for a year. Yeah. Because they, they don't want to have less than a year on their resume or something because then it looks like you're hopping jobs all the time. But mm-hmm. I don't know. You can't you can't expect for someone to stick around that long. And I think it's okay to be open with what you're doing as long as it's not directly related to what your business does or who you're working for does. Mm. Um, like if you're working at a restaurant and you go and work on music at night, like I don't think that that's something you need to keep a secret. I think it's something you should share with them. And then they at least know where you're coming from. If you're like trying to schedule something and you're like, well, I can't do that night because I have this going on. Yeah. At least they know versus, oh, well, you just don't want to work or something. That is true. Yeah. I think it'd be a bit more understandable if they're like, yeah, we know your, your life isn't just this job and Netflix. And if you <laughs> don't come in extra, you're just watching Netflix. Like it's more understandable. Um, so the next part I was going to ask you was the runway thing, but it seems like you didn't really have runways. Uh, I mean, people I talked to recommended that I yeah. should. And in the first example of quitting Boeing to work with Corbett, I was going from one job to another job. So I knew there was a paycheck and we had just gotten married and paid for our wedding. So there was just, mm-hmm. there was just no savings at all. And I mean, I had retirement savings and things I didn't want to touch. So if things got really bad, we could always do that or... I just felt like I could get another job or figure it out. I just always kind of confident in that way. Mm-hmm. As far as leaving to do video production stuff, I kind of just put the pressure on myself. And I was like, I need to figure out how to make money doing this and I'll, and I'll figure it out. Just made a list of the people that I thought I could work with that I had connections with already. Sent emails to about 10 of them and, you know, three or four of them I ended up working with in the first couple of months. And, you just kind of have to go from there. I think it's the whole back against the wall thing. It makes you makes you hustle. It makes you defend yourself. And I've heard that from people too, where they had their first kid and immediately like they just started working harder and their business started growing because they had to provide. Yeah. That reminds me of uh, when I had Barrett Brooks in the show, which was also th- almost three years ago. And he was telling me about how he had had this website built for business he was wanting to start. And then the bill was like, it was like $2,500 was due within the week. And he somehow talked his way into a $5,000 consulting gig with some business in town because he needed the money. And otherwise he would have like tarnished his name and totally screwed himself if he couldn't have paid for it. So I definitely can identify with that back against the wall mentality. Um, What are some of the kind of like month numbers that other people tell you when it comes to runway though? It depends on the transition you're making. Mm -hmm. If you've made money on something before, you know, two or three months is not a bad cushion to have anyway. Like if even if you're a full-time freelancer and you do a lot of client work, it's not a bad idea to have a couple months of savings, even if you do really well for yourself, just because you never know when people are going to make payments or projects are going to get canceled and things like that. So Mm -hmm. if you're jumping into that sort of environment, I would at least have a few months of savings if you can, if you are really confident uh, or you have some commitments and signed contracts of people, you know, you could do less. That's what I did. 
Um, if you're quitting a corporate job or a traditional job setup and you don't have another thing lined up, yeah, I would have more savings than that. You know, okay. I would have six months if possible, at least living expenses where you can pay the bills that won't get you evicted or make you starve. It's just helpful to have that kind of amount of money around because, you know, honestly, a lot of businesses are started on credit cards. It's not the best way to do it, but, um, you can't typically pay rent with a credit card. Yeah. And so I wouldn't recommend that you quit with no savings <laughs> and no plans of how you're going to make money. Like I wouldn't quit your job and like register a domain and like start blogging. Like that would be yeah. a not good idea. Work on whatever it is you have in mind for a while and see if you can actually make money doing it first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It took me two and a half years. So I would, I would have starved long before that. <laughs> yeah. Moved in with your parents or took another job that you hated yeah. even worse than that original one. And so you don't want to jump too soon. There, there are some resources like the dip by Seth Godin that kind of talks about uh, when to quit something and if it's, if it's right for you to quit it or not. Um, but honestly, there's not a set formula to, to quit something and to move on to something else. Mm-hmm. It's partially gut. It's partially the money piece. And it's partially if you wake up in enough days in a row where you don't like what you're doing, the whole Steve Jobs quote, then you should probably be doing something else. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's what gets me about a lot of these things. It's like you can stay, you know, you can play it safe. But if like if your job is doing nothing for you and not getting to where you want to go, you really need to think about that. Uh, when it comes to the cash flow question, it really is a question of cash flow instead of how much do I need to live at my standard of living right now? Like if you hate what you're doing so much, you can also just decrease your living expenses, move in with your parents or just, I don't know, cancel your Netflix subscription or something. And then your one way needs to be smaller for the same amount of months. Yeah. And one thing I did when I did work at Boeing, uh, I was making a decent amount of money after college and I had my student loan and a car loan. Uh, and I just, one of those things paid off mm-hmm. by a certain date. And so I set the date, I set the automatic withdrawals and I was able to pay off my debt that way just because I capped my living expenses and I saved money. And so you can, you can do that. You just have to know how much you want saved and to force yourself to live at, at a minimum and yeah. not upgrade and do the do expensive things and go on trips. Like when I worked at Boeing, I didn't, I didn't travel that often. I didn't have a bunch of expensive hobbies. The only thing I really did was I bought some video games and some home theater stuff, but, um, it was at a different level of, of income and expenses then compared to now where I'm married and I now I live in California, which is more expensive. And yeah, a lot of my expenses are work related. So I travel for work and I buy equipment and all those things. So definitely have a higher threshold for money coming in and out right now versus when I had a corporate job where you know exactly how much you're going to make and you just have to learn how to live with that much. And when you're an entrepreneur, it's, I don't know, maybe I'll make way more this month. Maybe (laughs) I won't make that much this month. It's, it's way more up and down and you kind of just have to be a little bit more professional about your finances. Mm -hmm. Dude, I still like shudder every time I think about living in California. 
<laughs> so expensive. Sometimes I look at the rents on uh, Zillow just to see, and it's just just to make yourself stay in Iowa. Yeah, I, I don't know how long I'll stay in Iowa. I'm not really sure, but I know wherever I move, it's probably going to go up in living expenses. So yeah, I mean, I I grew up in the Midwest, and <clears throat> mm-hmm. I moved to the West Coast, and then to the Southwest Coast, and it's definitely more expensive. And so that's yep. another thing to consider is if you're trying to get something off the ground, maybe live somewhere cheaper and yeah. have roommates and things like that. I I went from having a one bedroom apartment uh, when I was first at Boeing to I moved in and had roommates uh, about a year or two into that just so I could save a few hundred dollars each month that went towards my debt. So oh, you actually I, went from living on your own back to living with roommates? Yeah, oh, I did. Okay. Yeah. And it was with another Boeing employee and it was like, okay, I'm paying $900 in rent. I can pay $600 if I live with this person. That's $300 times, you know, it's like almost $4,000 over the year yeah. that I could put towards my debt. And then if I want to make a career change, like I did, that's $4,000 less dollars mm-hmm. that, you know, I would have to put on a credit card or that I still owe in my student loans or something like that. So it was kind of the foresight of knowing, okay, I know I want to do something else. So whatever I can do now to limit my expenses is really going to help. Yeah. So I want to cover the student loan angle real quick um, because that is an excuse that comes up pretty quick or pretty, pretty frequently. And I mean, it might be a valid excuse, but a lot of people were like, I have student loans. I can't quit. I can't do what I want. And I mean, you do have the option of, you know, going off of that standard repayment plan. If you're on federal loans over to like an income based repayment plan or something where it's lower in the beginning, you'll have debt for longer. You do pay more interest. You end up paying more in the long run, but there's also the argument to be made that you're making an investment in yourself. You'll end up happier and you may end up making more than you would have in your job and the investment will pay off more. So I don't know. I guess this is like, this is where I feel the show getting controversial because I'm like saying, oh, maybe you could potentially have student loans for longer, but <laughs> yeah, maybe you maybe hang on to your student loan debt because it's a lower interest rate and things like that yeah. versus if you're going to take a loan for a business or uh, live off credit cards or something like that, then no, I totally, I totally understand. And we, so I paid off my student loan debt and I paid off a car loan and those combined were about 28,000. And mm-hmm. so that took me three ish years to save up that money and to pay both those off. And after that, I got married and quit my job and went to go work with Corbett. And so you paid my it all wife, off at Boeing? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, but then, you know, my wife started a business. She had student loans. She got cancer and has had surgery a few times. And uh, now, and and that whole time I was working with Corbett, we had to pay for our own health insurance and all that stuff mm. that, I, that was covered when I was at Boeing. And so, I mean, we built debt back up from investing in the business uh, and cameras and paying health bills. And I mean, we, we've kept her student loan payment low and used any extra money to reinvest in the businesses and to do things that way versus hurry up, let's pay off the student loans, even though they, they have a lower percentage of interest. So, I mean, yes, you should pay off debt if you have debt and you should pay off the highest interest rate and work your way down and all those types of things. But sometimes you have to think of it as an investment and just like how you got your student loan debt where you went to college for four years and a lot of people don't work during that time. 
you're, you're making $0 and you're spending tens of thousands and you're just racking up this debt as an investment to then go land a good job or what have you. And so you have to think about your business in that way too, where mm-hmm. you're going to have to invest money and time. And then long-term you'll end up getting more than if you just had a high school degree. Like that's the whole argument behind going to college is your lifetime earnings are higher if you have a bachelor's or a master's or a doctorate. And so that's how they convince you to do it is, oh, you'll be better off in the long run. So I don't know. Student loans are a huge conversation. uh, Philosophically, but but if you have them, you just got to deal with them. Yeah. And this is something that I feel like I've been looking at this too narrowly for the, for years, for the whole time, actually seeing college as something different than any other investment. Because, you know, the line that I've been telling people for years and that has been told to me by people I trust and still respect is go to college. You know, if you have debt, try to, you know, try to minimize your debt and then pay it off as soon as possible when you get done. And there's never been any wiggle room for, oh, well, college was an investment and it paid off or hopefully paid off. Why can you not make yet another investment, you know, of a different type? Uh, Why is college the special one that gets to have debt? and then must be paid off before anything else happens. So, you know, and this isn't me saying go take on more debt or pay off your student loans mm-hmm. slower, but it's something to think about. I just, I think my philosophy with debt and investments have has been changing and shifting and becoming more balanced over time. And, you know, it's, it's a product of being in business for myself, I think, because everything, every investment of time and money, you have to think of it that way it's much clearer to you when you're running a business for yourself than if it's just a job. Yeah. And so when you're running a business, everything you spend money on that's related to that, you have to think of it as an investment. And if you go to a conference, are you going, is that going to be worth it? Are you going to make a connection or learn something or have some sort of lead from it to get a client that's going to be worth it for you to take the few days and the flight and the hotel stay and food and whatever else and time away from doing whatever it is your actual work is to be worth it. Mm-hmm. And not all conferences are. And I think you just learn that as you attend a bunch of them. Yeah. And it's the same thing with equipment is, is buying a new camera or a new microphone going to return on investment you money or is your investment just negative 100% return <laughs> or it's just like just strictly cost. Yeah. And, and a lot of times it, it is that. And so you have to be really conscious of what you're spending your money on mm-hmm. and is it going to make you money in the long term? And if it's not going to, then you probably shouldn't be spending money on that thing. Yeah. And you got to make sure you don't get too hung up on the tools that cost money and you got to make sure you're doing what you can do to maximize their value. Like you made that podcast episode really recently is saying, it was like, it's not about the gear. It's about what you do with it. Mm-hmm. And then I was watching Casey Neistat's vlog uh, from like two days ago, I think. It was called Maxed Out My Credit Card. And um, he was like, you know, it's it's definitely not good advice to say max out your credit card. But if I would have never maxed out my credit card on that first camera, I would have never become a filmmaker. I'm out of state mm-hmm. washing dishes in Connecticut and that kind of thing. So there's just, I don't know, there's a give and take there. Yeah, you so, got to balance your risk. And sorry, I know you wanted to move on there oh, but like fine. i mean would you recommend that someone goes and spends like 80 to 100,000 dollars to go start their business before they make any money? No. No. But i mean you do that with college. 
Mm-hmm. Like every day, parents send off their kids and they're like, okay, we're going to go spend six figures for you to go get an education and uh, hopefully you get a job afterwards. Yeah. And so this is, you know, this is this is where you really get into the weeds because, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, well, college is a, a safer investment. You know, you go to college, you're you're most likely going to get a return on it because that degree is going to get you a job. And it's like, yeah, it might, depending on what you did alongside your classes and depending on what you majored in. If you just majored in English and nothing else, you just bought yourself a 30 grand paperweight. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Maybe I need to do an episode just basically like tearing down college. It's like college is not the holy grail investment. It's a investment and there are others and you have to weigh it just like any other. Uh, before we moved on, I wanted to mention like a couple things on this money front. Um, we talked about student loans and you can probably edit those. And you mentioned that you have to pay for your health insurance now that you've left. And a lot of people don't consider that your company's paying for your health insurance. If you quit, you have to buy your own health insurance. And if you don't, you have to pay the fee, which is going to cost close to as much as health insurance will you yeah. know, in the future, unless you're making like no money, then it'll be covered for you. So, I mean, I guess that's nice, but you do have to figure out like, how much am I making? And at that level, can I afford health insurance if I quit? Yeah. And depending you know? on your age, I mean, you could stay on your parents' health insurance mm-hmm. or at if least you're less than 26. Yeah. Yeah. Which I didn't have that luxury ever because the, when the laws happened and things like that. And when I left my mm-hmm. job at Boeing, I was like 24 or 25 anyway. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that that's a big thing. And you have to think of all these little hats that you have to wear when you work for yourself that uh, other people kind of take care of when you have a desk job. Uh, things HR related like health insurance or, you know, your taxes get more complicated and you have to do more of those things. And but there are the benefits, too, of, OK, then you get to write off expenses and the square footage of where you live. If you work there, then. You know, it, it just gets it just gets more complicated to work for yourself mm-hmm. and health insurance. If you have uh, a need for really good health insurance um, or you have an unexpected health event, it, it takes a lot of time and energy to, to handle that stuff by yourself. Yeah. And uh, that that was probably the biggest thing in this whole transition that I'm glad that we did not like skimp on was getting good health insurance because of unexpected health stuff that can happen. Right. I was going to ask you, um, what are some of those extra kind of hats you have to wear besides the insurance and the taxes, things that you didn't expect you'd have to deal with? That's a good question. I mean, I think the biggest thing was you have to, you have to be your own boss. So you have Mm. to be really good at being productive and time management and making sure you get stuff done. You're basically the the CEO in that example. You're the CFO because you have to make sure you have money coming in the door that you can that you can pay your bills, that you have client work that's coming in or ad revenue or digital products or what have you. And so you're wearing the the financial hat. Uh, you're wearing the networking hat and the sales hat because you have to go out to meetups or conferences or stuff on the internet to meet people that could potentially hire you or, or buy what you do. There's just all these different hats that you, you kind of have to wear. And what I've, what I've been thinking about recently is think of whatever you do as a 10 person company and then figure out what each of those 10 people would do 
And then you have a good cycle every two weeks of like a little reminder. It's like, okay, Monday is CFO day. Tuesday is sales day. Wednesday is, uh, I don't know, like fun day. And like, make sure your company <laughs> has fun. You know, like you have like morale, like team morale boosting stuff. It's true. Cause you're probably going to be working more than you worked at your job. Exactly. At least at first. Yeah. And so that comes back to, well, what's the point of being your own boss? If you still work nine to five and you sit at a desk, you just at a different desk mm-hmm. and you just don't have a commute anymore. And all those know, little, all those little freedom. hats. Yeah. It's the freedom though. It's the freedom to Chart go and see a matinee or something if you want to, or it's the freedom to work late on something and know that you'll reap the benefits from it. And yeah. so, so I mean, I'm a huge proponent of entrepreneurship and everything, but if you're just giving yourself, if you're just giving yourself another job, that's boring that you start to hate, yeah. you're going to be in the same position. And it was, it was really risky to get to that point. Mm. The thing I love the most about this is every day I wake up and I'm like, I'm building something that will benefit me and will last. Whereas, you know, the, for example, the internship I did, it's like, okay, I just spent five hours changing settings in a firewall and three years down the line, they're going to hire some other junior level college intern to change those settings back because they don't need them anymore. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I it's think like, that okay, that, I got the $15 an hour from that. That's it. That's the only right, value that was right. ever derived it's, from it. It's just an exchange at that point. It's yeah. like you put in the time and some work and there's a transaction and you get money mm-hmm. and the company is hoping that for every person they hire, they are getting more money from each of those people. And yeah. it's honestly having a job is just a transaction over and over and over again. Right. And the things that I did in my desk job that I feel like had the most impact in the world, and I just did air quotes, so no one's going to be able to see that, but <laughs> the most impact in the world were things I volunteered for that were in the kind of charity aspect mm. of my job, um, where we were giving uh, children's books to people or volunteering and helping for Habitat of Humanity and building houses. And I feel like those things, those few days in the years that I spent working there, I got the most value out of because I felt like I was doing something and I wasn't just doing spreadsheet work and forecasting and yeah. and all this reporting stuff that I felt like anybody else could could really do. I wanted to go find something that only I could do and that I was really interested in and mm-hmm. it definitely took me a long time to find it and I didn't even know what I was looking for but but like I said I was looking for 10 years like trying yeah. to figure out what I wanted to do from from high school till like a year ago and even now I'm still trying to figure out okay well 10 years from now what do I want to be doing mm-hmm. and how do I get how do I get there and I don't know but I'm willing to try things every day to see what I like to do yeah. And now that you can look back, it seems like there's this logical progression because this is the this is the problem. A lot of people who really want to do something face. They're like, OK, what am I doing now? I'm in this corporate finance job. What do I want to be doing? I want to make films. And the leap seems like you're leaping over this. You're leaping over the Grand Canyon like that's impossible. Yeah. But if you look at your story, it's like, OK, I started blogging in my spare time. I met some people started working for him. I was doing a lot of admin stuff, a lot of the similar stuff that I did at my job. And then we eventually turned this blogging thing into a video course thing. And I had to teach myself some of the video making skills, but it wasn't like I'm a filmmaker. It's like, we're still driving income from 
teaching people the same stuff we've always taught people. Now we're going to throw video in the mix. So now you gain those skills and now you can take those skills to their next iteration, which is making films for people. Yeah. And it, it like falls in line when you look backwards and mm-hmm. you don't really know where, where it's going, looking forwards a lot of the time. But I, I keep going back to this. I tried a lot of things like right before I started blogging, I had this app that we were going to make. Uh, it was a, it was a video game app and it was very similar to, uh, what's that app that's out with the guy that has like the rockets and you collect the coins as you go across the screen. Oh, Jetpack Joyride? Yeah, it, it was it reminds that, me of a helicopter game. It was that premise mm-hmm. like years before that came out. That was this game we were trying to make with our friends and I was like going to do all the level design. We had someone that had gone to computer animation school. We had someone that coded. We had someone that could do music and sound. And it was like we had this really good group of people. We were all friends. And then our coder got a, a full-time job to go make um, and now it's like one of the top app games and everything but he got a job and it's like well without a coder we're not gonna be able to make a game and <laughs> yeah. it, so it just kind of it kind of fizzled out and then i was like reading chris gilbo's blog and decided to start a blog and so it was like i was trying things like over and over again to figure out what i wanted to do and and until you go out and just start making things then you you're not really going to figure it out because mm-hmm. for the longest time i just i just consumed i just play video games and watch movies and listen to podcasts. And in that whole time frame, I never thought maybe I should make videos about these things that I like. Yeah. Your mic is like doing a weird feedback thing. Uh, a truck drove by. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can, I can like re, I'm just going to leave that in. I don't even okay. care. Just leave it in. <laughs> Welcome Mr. Truck driver to my podcast. As, as much as you soundproof a room or get expand, uh, get like fancy equipment, like sirens and like trucks can just ruin everything. Oh, I know. There's, there's no way to stop the sound of a truck. Dude. And so I, I hope people can't hear it, but, um, like half an hour ago, the water heater right beneath my room turned on. And like when I make videos, sometimes I'll go down there and turn it off, except for I always forget to turn it back on. So then my roommates are like yelling at me because they have to take a cold shower. <laughs> so I've just started, I've just stopped turning it off now. It's in the videos. Oh, well. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask two final questions before we wrap this up. Number one, you said you have to be your own boss, which means you have to motivate yourself. And a lot of times, you know, when you quit to start working for yourself, you're going to be working in your own home. So what do you do to set your home up to be like, to make sure you're more productive? That's a, that's a really good point because I think when people start working at home, they're, even if it's just like a day once a month at their desk job, they're like, oh, I can work virtual for a day. Mm-hmm. And they just camp out uh, with a laptop on the couch and they just watch Netflix all day. And they're like, oh, I'm totally working, but I'm really not. And when you work for yourself, yeah, exactly. (laughs) DiGiorno's everywhere. Um, I'm a functioning human being, I swear. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember half the English language anymore, but. (laughs) Yeah. And I I think that when you're your own boss, it's, it's a little different because it's Mm. like you, you do the work or it doesn't get done. Mm. And there, there are lots of tips for, you know, actually getting dressed and, having a spot in your home that you work at all the time. So uh, when we just had a one bedroom apartment in Seattle and I was doing blogging and trying to get stuff off the ground, I had a desk that was in this little hutch area and I would go there, put on my headphones and I would plug in, you know, like 
matrix style and just kind of focus. And I didn't have any other distractions. Was it like and in when, a closet or something? Um, I feel like I've no, seen a picture of this once. Maybe. We kind of had, it was like we had this hallway into the bedroom and then there was, there was literally a little hutch the size of about a desk. Okay. And then I had another one, um, in another place we lived as well, mm -hmm. but I was on the road traveling for three months when I, when I first started quote working independently for think traffic. And I mean, we were staying in hotels and with friends and things like that. So the coffee shop became my office. Didn't matter what city, as long as they had Wi-Fi, I was there and I could work. And so it's a combination of setting realistic hours, getting dressed, turning off distractions, using your calendar to actually put things you're going to do on them and, and being productive. So I, I really like the idea of having a device and or a work place, like some mm -hmm. spot you work that triggers your mind. Um, I, I even do it with music too, though. So I'll use certain soundtracks when I'm writing or editing or email. And if you like play the same album while you do the same thing enough times, mm -hmm. it just starts to trigger the habit. And it's like, as soon as okay. the social network soundtrack, as soon as I start that, it's like, all right, it's time to write. And so that's and your writing one. Of, yeah, that's my writing one. Um, nice. And it's about an hour long and I can get in, you know, through a script of a video or a podcast or what have you. And I think music triggers are, are things that are helpful too. So you learn little tips and tricks and, um, I think having a good pair of headphones is is one of them. Yeah, essential. <laughs> I wish they made these ones still. Really Which ones do you have? I have the old Sony XB500s. I don't know if their new version is still called the XB500, um, but the old one is like this $50 pair of super poofy headphones. They look like pillows on my head, and they're ridiculously bassy, and they have like a nice cutout, so it just sits on your head. And like the updated version... They went for more of like the fashion beats by Dre kind of look a little bit. It's more expensive, apparently less quality, and it sits on your ear more, I think. So, and then like these, their used pairs of these ones have gone up to like $400 or some weird number. So hmm. it's like, yeah, it's, it's what always happens. Company makes a good thing and then they update it and make it worse. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't get the old one that you liked. Uh, interesting that you study or that you uh, work with the same music. I just released a video last week on uh, should you study with music or not. And one of the questions I keep getting that I did not answer in the video because I didn't even think about it was uh, the difference between music you're familiar with versus music you're unfamiliar with. Like, should I study with completely unfamiliar music, stuff that's like being generated on the fly or the same thing every time? Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. I think it really depends on the person. Some of the people in the comments were like, I study classical music, so I can't listen to classical music because I just start picking apart every element of it and I, I pay more attention to the music than to my yeah. homework. Um, yeah, I, I have little things like that where I don't listen to words when I'm mm -hmm. doing something that involves words. Mm -hmm. um, so if I'm writing or reading or typing out emails or what have you, I don't listen to music with words. Um, and that that's probably the biggest one. And I know, I feel like Tim Ferriss does this or maybe somebody interviewed does this where they listen to the same song over and over and over again. Oh yeah. I don't know about, I think Tim might, I know that CGP gray does. And this is also yeah, something they talked about on cortex. Yeah. Cause he listens to like the most awful 
girly pop songs. And he'll listen to the same one over and over again while he's animating. And it, Mike it just, just becomes can't noise. It. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I do that with white noise too, where mm. if I'm in a, if I'm in a coffee shop and there's one person having a conversation, I cannot focus. Yeah. Like if there's, so I turn on white noise and put, put in earphones and just crank it. That's why I bring these coffee shop now. Yeah. I used to just pack my little iPhone earbuds, but it started to get to the point where it's like conversations or just the music they're playing. It's like, that's not my music. So yeah, you kind of have to just figure out what your quirks are mm. and, and get over them. And I, I think that there's, there's just so many different things that you just start to learn about yourself when you, you're in charge of your schedule and time and everything. Yeah. And if you, if you love to get up early, then get up early. If you love to sleep in, then sleep in like mm. whatever, whatever makes you work the best is what you end up having to do. And there's going to be days where you don't want to work. There's going to be times and tasks where you don't want to do that thing. And you either have to be okay with that or you have to figure out some kind of life hack and convince yourself that you're going to do it. Uh, if I if I sit down at like 3.30 or 4 and I'm like, I just want to be done for the day or something. If I crack open a beer, I, I could edit a video for like two hours. Yeah. I don't know what it is. It's like it's a different mindset shift and I'm very different from you. I like the idea of pouring <laughs> a little glass of scotch and working. I'm like, yeah, yeah oh, it's it's Saturday night. I'm going to be really weird. I'm going to pour a little glass of scotch. I'm going to edit a video or something. And then I pour the scotch and I'm like, do not work. <laughs> so, <laughs> so booze and work no, do just, not go just well do for not, me. Just don't hit publish is, is the thing. <laughs> you know, what is it like write drunk, edit sober? Anyway, the, did not say anyway. that. But yeah, uh, but I do quote. like the quote. Yeah, it's one of those misquotes. Every time I want to quote someone now, I'm like my own worst enemy. I'm like, I gotta go over to quote examiner and see if they actually said that or yeah. somebody else said it. <laughs> yeah, I, I love just the super fake ones that are like, uh, Twitter's the new Facebook. Said Abraham Lincoln or like you know <laughs> just ridiculous quotes like that. Those are my favorite. Harry, do or do not. There is no try. <laughs> it's yeah, like Gandalf or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, yeah, no booze for me and work. It doesn't work out. Uh, well, I do whatever, say, whatever your your liquid choice is. Like some people, it's coffee and you know whatever it, it needs to be. Yeah, so tea. I have cold tea now. Uh, Chase introduced me to something called Lapsang Souchong. It's I love it. It's my favorite tea now. It smells like smoked salmon, and it's just wonderful. I do want to say when you're starting out, the disciplining yourself to work aspect is probably going to be less important than the just efficient planning aspect because. If you don't work, like money won't come in and you'll starve next week. So it's like you're yeah. scrappy mode. Whereas when you get a little bit more established, uh, you have some kind of like products out there that are already selling. You're like, oh, I could technically not work today and I wouldn't die. Like there's money that's coming in two months from now that I know is coming in. So once you're more established, I think the discipline kind of raises up to the equal level of priority of the planning and the deliberateness. But when you're starting, it's like I got to hustle. Otherwise, I'm going back to the cubicle. Yeah. And I think what's helpful is what I did at the beginning was, you know, I have my to do list of all the things you pick like the three most important. But then if you look at them one other way, it's like, OK, which one of these will actually bring money in the door and which one of these are actually just busy work mm. or just things that you think you should do. And yeah. when you start to frame, not that everything you should do should be about money, but it's it's helpful if money is a problem or mm. an urgency to be like, okay, maybe I should just go send some emails to people that I want to work with 
versus redesigning my website or something yeah. or what have you. So it's helpful to think of things in a productive way as well. Mm-hmm. And you have to kind of force yourself to do it sometimes because often the busy work kind of promises a, uh, a more immediate feeling of accomplishment. You know, I did, I fell into the same trap today. Uh, there's a script I should be writing for video. And instead I was like editing flare CSS on the Reddit to make it look prettier. And I'm like, yeah, I mean like, okay, it looks prettier now, but I don't think that's going to bring in any more revenue in the future. So definitely important. Um, so obviously we want your venture to succeed, right? You quit your job. Obviously we hope that it, it is everything you want it to be and you go forward and it becomes your thing. But should it fail, at what point do you need to start looking for a job? Like how far into your runway depleting do you need to start being like, okay, the ride's over, time to think about something else? Yeah, that's interesting. So if you're if you're running out of money, money's not coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the first step might be getting getting a part time gig. Okay so that you could still keep working on whatever it is you're trying to work on. Mm -hmm. And maybe you just started on a little too early or you're not, uh, you're not just getting the traction that you want or you're not doing the right things to get you there. I don't think that you should worry too hard about that. Okay, cool. I think I heard another truck. Yeah. Yeah, There's (laughs) another truck. (laughs) Hello, Mr. Truck. It's weird. It doesn't sound like a truck. It sounds like, it sounds like you're in a dance club or something. Just like I hear the bass almost. Yeah, it's just like <laughs> vibrating through my microphone. Cool. Crazy resonance. But yeah, I would think about, I mean, I would think about when you're done with all your money that you saved up, what can you do to actually, okay, how can I get money in the door that isn't from my main thing I'm trying to do, but there's another creative way that's still semi-related. Mm-hmm. So let's say you're doing let's say you're doing graphic design and you don't have enough clients, like maybe you can go work 10 to 20 hours a week at an agency that, that just needs someone part-time and can't afford to hire you full-time. You know, that's not totally giving up on what you're doing. Yeah. My wife uh, is a wedding photographer and to get her stuff off the ground, she'll go and shoot with other photographers and it's, it's simply a transaction. She'll go and like as an assistant basically. Yeah. As a second photographer at a wedding. It's their wedding. They need another person to get other angles and to cover the groom while the bride's over here. And so I I think there can still be creative ways for you to figure out how you can make money doing that thing you're trying to do Mm -hmm. before you go and take a job that's completely unrelated and maybe draining again. Yeah. Um, So, you know, think of creative ways to either bring money in the door or to to save money. And if that means... Mm -hmm moving in with other people or any of the other big expenses, um, cutting them out for a while and getting by. It's, it's always amazing to me when I like go to a college campus or something, I always think, okay, I used to live in like a seven foot by 11 foot kind of box with another person. And I used to think, Oh, I have so much stuff. And then now it's like, I live in a multi-bedroom apartment with a garage, I have all this equipment and all, you know, you just get this lifestyle creep, uh, for, for pretty much no reason. And then you end up in a huge, in a huge house and vacation homes and garages you can't park your car in and like all this stuff. It's like, if you can keep your life pretty simple, pretty minimal, uh, especially when you're starting a business or you're, or you're young and just getting out of college, 
the more you can do that and not have lifestyle creep, the more flexibility and freedom you have to, to, to move to another place and try it out or Mm -hmm. to, to quit your job. But if you have a, if you have a mortgage and you have a new car payment and you have a wife and three kids, I'm not like suggesting that you should never buy houses or get married and have kids, but the less things you have financial responsibility for, the easier it is to transition. And so if you know you want to transition the next year, maybe you just keep driving your car and get it fixed instead of buying a new one. And whatever you can do to keep your expenses down really does help you in in the long term. Yeah, it's money in, money out. I mean, it probably it's probably a good way or a good mode of thinking to consider your money like a resource, almost like it's like the gold or the food in Age of Empires instead of like, I don't know, some integral part of your life. It's like, okay, you don't necessarily need that job if what you're doing is bringing in some, but not enough, then supplement that with something else or move to the middle of Iowa and live with three roommates yeah, and pay 300 a month for rent, you know, and just kind of like re like untangle all that stuff in your brain that has convinced you, you need to have this uh, inflated lifestyle and keep doing what you're doing. I think it's so much worse to do something you hate to support stuff you don't need than to just give up some of that stuff and live a little bit simpler to build something you're really going to enjoy. I don't know. Just the production and the practice of doing something that really fulfills you just, it just seems so much more important than having things to enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. And, uh, I mean, I wish, I wish that I could live at the level that I lived at in college and like have a tiny little, I don't even know if I could get something that's that small square footage <laughs> as a dorm room. Like, I just don't think they make that. They don't make Go like to New York, do- they make it. Rooms. Okay. Well, those are expensive <laughs> though. That's, that's like not the point. Yeah. I want like a dorm room sized living, you know, for yeah. adults that are like entrepreneurs or something so they can minimize your expenses and put all your money and effort into growing the thing you're trying to do. But mm-hmm. as you get older and as you get more responsibility and liabilities on things, life's just more expensive. And yeah, in college, I just took out student loans to pay for my life. You Sometimes know? I look back at the uh, me of two years ago when I was just blogging. And it's like, oh, that dude needed nothing. He needed a laptop. And now I need this video set and all this gear. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like being an entrepreneur is, it like makes it impossible to consider the simple lifestyle. Because like, well, all this stuff is for my business. Like, I need it. yeah yeah i I mean you feel the same way you have like a whole garage that is three quarters full of foam and Mm -hmm. cameras and all that kind of stuff it's like well that's your business so it's not you can you can't just downgrade that right exactly around yeah i mean but then going and traveling for an extended period of time and like being able to keep your business going Mm -hmm. it's like well i don't really need any of that stuff i just need like a handful of the things i need like my my one camera and my one lens and my own microphone and some lights and I could, I could do 90% of what I want to do and then rent the rest. And so there's definitely lifestyle creep and I don't know, business creep or whatever you want to call it. Cause I mean, I want to have multiple employees and I want to have an office space and all those things. And it's like, do I really need that? Yeah. Uh, I, w- I had the pleasure of hanging out with some, uh, some YouTubers the other night up in LA, uh, some of the team crispy people like Marquez and Lou and stuff. Oh, you're actually and- out with them? Yeah, I got to hang out with That's them awesome. after the event because um, 
friends with Amy Schmittauer and, and she was there emceeing it for them and mm-hmm. got to hang out with them a little bit afterwards. And th- these are huge YouTubers, millions of subscribers, no employees, no office. I mean, uh, Marquez has nobody working with him. He has no office. Uh, Lou has an office space in Canada that's cheaper than it would be in, in Southern California. You know, uh, a lot of these people, all these YouTubers and you know, that small, small yeah. running businesses and uh, keep the overhead low and, you know, do the stuff they want to do versus yeah. growing out a big team and having all this overhead and, and, and the stuff you need to do when you're building like a software business or mm-hmm. you're, you're being like a blogger and you need people to edit your podcasts and do your website redesign and, and all this stuff that you need a team for. And so the, another way to thing, just, man. Yeah. The, the other way is just to, you know, do things yourself, learn the yep. skills yourself and, uh, and deal with it. There's, there's this combination of how you can scale by yourself by focusing on the things that bring in money versus having to hire people and having all this overhead and like that kind of stuff scares me, honestly, to have yeah. overhead of fifty, a hundred thousand dollars a month that you have to keep bringing money in the door to pay salaries and office space and all that kind of stuff. That still scares me at this point. And and make a decent living. But it scares me, but just, sometimes yeah. I wonder about like, is that the way to remain hungry? Is that the rem- the way to to kind of regain a little bit of that scrappiness you had to have when you started out and you were like scared about just covering your own expenses? You know, yeah, definitely. Is I there mean, a point you, where like you have not inflated your own needs to the point where it's like, well, you don't need to push yourself anymore? Right. You you start to get comfortable and you start to coast and. And if you are doing that on purpose, because you're not just trying to make more money to make more money and and you like what you're doing and you're living a a nice lifestyle and all those types of things, um, then then that's fine. Mm -hmm. But if you're doing it and you, you complain about not having enough money or not being able to travel or do what you want to do, then that's a completely different story. Yeah. And so you have to know why maybe you're holding back from from growing things and, and adding people to the team and and seeing where things can go because I mean you could you could hire people to to help you with stuff and podcast edit or Doing it tomorrow edit your video see there you go <laughs> so so it gets to the point where it you you do hit a ceiling of what you're capable to do by yourself mm-hmm. um, and I I think that I having hit that ceiling a long involved, time ago. You know, I think you did too, because you have Tim doing a lot of helping you with a lot of stuff, right? Yeah, Tim works with me full time mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he's doing full time. So is he? Is he an employee of yours now? Technically, he's a ten ninety nine. Okay, but, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So my roommate is gonna start helping me, and um, we're like kind of setting up a temporary engagement, and then if that works out, it'll go to more permanent. But yeah, I've I've been leaving so much on the table, you know. It's like, I got to make videos every week. So all these other things don't get done. Right. And he's like, well, I could probably learn how to do all that stuff. So <laughs> we're doing yeah. it. But yeah. yeah. A, a really good resource for that is uh, Virtual Freedom mm-hmm. uh, by Chris Ducker. I think that's the name of his book. And uh, in there, he has an exercise where you go through and make three columns. And one is uh, stuff you do but shouldn't be doing. Uh, stuff you stuff you don't know how to do that you should be doing and then there's like one other thing that's like stuff you don't like doing 
And then you just like list out all these tasks in your business and you're like, oh, I could hire people to do these things. Yeah. One of the and things that, I that did cool. today is um, started making standard operating procedures for, and I, I was like, oh, I had this sort of kind of checklist for videos, but today I like sat down and wrote out like, if I needed someone else to do this, how would I write it? And it's like, let's see here. It is a over a thousand word document for just posting a video. It's like that much stuff that goes into it. But I'm realizing like, this is all stuff that I could totally train someone else to do. Mm -hmm. And that would give me more time for making better videos or making more videos. Yeah. And actually hiring other people makes you be a little bit more professional Mm -hmm. like you would be in a traditional environment. If you are working with other people, you have to have a set schedule and you have to stay on top of things and have something to track tasks between each other and have meetings and share calendars and all these things that make you be a little bit more professional. And also when you're paying someone, you want to make sure they have something to work on. So you can't just like slack on something. It'll push you to, all right, I'm going to record this podcast because they need something to edit later today. Like they need something to do. Mm. And it, it pushes you to to keep moving forward. So going from just you to you and one other person is a big step. And uh, I think it takes a lot of people a long time to do that. And then going from one person working for you to two and three and four is, is a little bit easier of a step. But yeah, but yeah, having like operating procedures, checklists, uh, recording yourself doing things so they can learn how to do it. It's it's hard to hand off things that you've been doing for so long. I've been doing stuff online and blogging for over five years. And mm-hmm. it's like, Oh, th- I, I can do this stuff. Like why nobody else can check the category no WordPress. Can, yeah. I, I have to do that. I can choose the best one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, you'll still proof stuff and there'll still be yeah. mistakes, but it's part of the, it's part of the growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think that there's this compulsion, like if I hire someone, they need to be as good as me right away. But then you have to ask yourself, like, was I really that good when I started? They're probably going to be better off than I was, like I was for the first two years, just by yeah. virtue of me being able to train them. The yeah, way and that you, I want them to. you also have, you know, people that try to hire an exact clone of themselves. And it's like, is that really the point? Or yeah. should you think of the things that you want someone to do and then find someone that's good at those things or can learn to be good at those things? And it's also really important to hire based on like personality and how you connect with them, especially those first few employees, because you can hire someone that can do the work, but if you don't get along with them, then they're going to ruin, they're going to ruin the company. And it's all those considerations. So I've always been a fan of hiring people that, you know, are talented that can learn the skills versus finding someone that knows how to do exactly everything that you want them to do. Yeah. Plus then you have the opportunity to kind of help further their development and Mm -hmm. be a part of that professional instead of it just being like, I'm hiring a consultant who does X, Y, and Z to do X, Y, and Z for me. And they know exactly how to do it. So I feel like we're turning this into like a business podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, we started with like how to, how to quit something. And then we transitioned into like, Oh, this is how you run your business now. Now that you've started it in the last half hour, 45 minutes, we've been talking about this. So for like the two people who are actually interested in this stuff, listening, um, you know, this isn't going to be like a topic we cover a whole ton of this podcast, but what are some other podcasts that you think are good for people to like dig into other resources in general? 
For like starting a business? Yeah, just people who were like, yeah, this last five minutes was the best part of the show. You know, where should they go from there? Uh, definitely check out The Fizzle Show is okay. the podcast uh, that I used to co-host, uh, as well as Smart Passive Income podcast is a good one. Um, I really like the narrative and how they taught uh, how they start a business in the podcast startup. Um, it's a lot of the more like venture capital, um, how to raise money and stuff for your business, but mm -hmm. how they told that story was really interesting. So I would start with those three. The first two are going to kind of talk about starting an online business, a traditional like blogging, podcasting, teaching kind of business. Uh, and then the other one will talk about being a startup and getting funding and things. Those are, those are some good ones. Okay. So I would start. I'm going to add a recommendation of a book. Uh, I'm going to add the personal MBA, which honestly I recommend everyone to read it because it, if you understand how business works and you understand how value and transactional relationships and things work, you will be better off no matter what you do, but definitely for going on your own, really good thing to get into. So you weren't kidding when you said like we could do Phil like six podcasts. With this stuff. No, I, I was not <laughs> kidding. Going for a while, man. Like we could do one on career fairs. I could talk about my strategies for like resume building and like all this stuff that I haven't thought about since I was in college. But, but yeah, right. you and I could talk for a very long time. I'm going to make you uh, like a daily show correspondent then. <laughs> correspondent Caleb Wojcik check in. Yeah. I mean, we could definitely do more on that because I think people always want to know more about career fairs and resumes and stuff. Uh, for now, this is probably where we should wrap it though for this episode. So dude, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to chat. Uh, I mean, we chat when we're not recording for stuff anyway. So yeah. How do you it's, pronounce it's good that when other word that you say? Listen. Tet a tet? Is that how you pronounce it? Oh, I don't know if it's tet a tet or tete a tete, but it just means like a conversation between two people. Actually, you know, I think I heard someone say it on some podcast or video recently and it was actually tet a tet. So I think it's tet a tet, I'm gonna but go there's a lot that. of like symbols over yeah. letters and it's like all in different languages really and symbols me i think it's french is it probably it. it's it's just fancy talk for two people talking yeah yeah i don't know if it'll tell me what language it is yep it's french literally head to head <laughs> nice <laughs> all right dude well until our next tete-a-tete all right, guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Thank you so much for listening to the end. And uh, if you want to find those show notes, once again, CIGpodcast.com, episode 95. You'll get all those things that we talked about, all the links, ways to review the show if you want. And if you want to find my favorite resources for making your college life easier and better and more efficient, you can go over to collegeinfogeek.com slash resources to see everything that I'm linking to. I'm updating that page often, so check it out. And that's it for this episode. So once again, hopefully you enjoyed it, and I will see you next week. Stay cute.